Story six of Jack and the Checkbook. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Jack and the Checkbook by John Kendrick Bangs. Story six: The Return of Aladdin. Night had fallen over the city, but the work in the little tailor shop on the Bowery still went on. The toiling widow of Mustafa, the incorporated valet of the Bachelors' Aid Society, who had died the winter before leaving his family with nothing but a few debts and his ironing-board, was wearily struggling with the last batch of undarned socks received that morning from the association. She sighed deeply as she laboured, for her fingers were sore with many stitches. "'Hi-ho!' she murmured sadly. "'Why don't these bachelors get married and have this sort of thing done at home, I wonder? This is the ten-thousandth sock I have darned since Christmas, and as for the suspender-buttons, the good lord only knows how many of those i have sewed on there ought to be a law compelling men to marry on penalty of having to do their own mending poor woman in the weariness of her spirit she little dreamed that she was growing petulant with her bread and butter suddenly she heard the door of the little shop without open and her son aladdin entered a great buoyant lad of twenty cheerful of spirit and a good deal of a giant physically well worthless she said with an affectionate glance into his fine eyes where have you been all day looking for work mother as usual said the young man throwing a small package on the table and you the <sighs> same old drudgery dear she replied with a sigh did you have any luck no mother dear not a bit replied aladdin do you mean to tell me that in all this great city there is no work of any kind that a hale, hearty, hungry boy like you can get to do, she demanded. Plenty of it, mother, replied the boy. Plenty of it, but nothing in my special line. Lots of snow-shoveling jobs and a position as guard on the subway were offered me, but I cannot demean myself by taking anything of that sort, Mumsy dear. Father, in the last days of his life, spent too many hours teaching me how to raise mushrooms under glass, for me to dishonour his memory by undertaking labour that is beneath that in artistic quality, and just at present I cannot find anybody in all this city who wants a helper in mushroom culture. Oh, then we shall have to go supperless to bed, sighed the poor woman. Not a penny in the house and the pantry bare. Oh, Aladdin, Aladdin, why will you not give up this false pride of yours and get some kind of a job that will at least feed yourself and help me pay the rent? The boy was silent. He had had this same argument with his mother time and time and again, and he was quite aware of the futility of speech in trying to overcome her objections to what she termed his incorrigible idleness. "'What have you in the package?' the woman asked, after a prolonged silence. "'I don't know,' replied Aladdin. "'I picked it up outside the stage door of the Helicon Theatre. I saw it lying in the snow, and I brought it along with me.' It is probably some kind of a make-up box belonging to one of the performers. If there is any reward offered in any of the morning papers for its return, maybe I shall earn a few honest pennies by taking it back to its owner. His mother busied herself with the string, and in a moment it came untied, and a small brass lamp rolled out of the brown paper covering. It was very dirty and much battered. <laughs> said she, scornfully, gazing at the homely little object. I don't think anybody will be foolish enough to offer a reward for a trumpery little thing like that. Ah, well, said Aladdin, gazing out of the shop window at the scurrying crowds on the sidewalk. It might be worse, Mumsy dear. 
we at least have a roof over our heads this night which is more than some of those poor wretches have and unless i am very much mistaken this storm that is upon us is going to be a blizzard in very truth a blizzard had descended upon the city all the transportation lines were blocked and over on broadway all traffic had been tied up for hours thanks to the elevated railway structure this portion of the bowery still remained passable even this was momentarily piling higher and higher with the snow and the wind was in one of its most violently rampageous moods how would you feel if your little aladdin had a job as a chauffeur on a night like this the lad went on the poor woman shuddered and was about to reply when a terrific crash from without drove all thought of words from her mind hastily running to the window she too peered out into the street for a moment over aladdin's shoulder but only for a moment for in an instant the boy was up and making for the door of the little tailor-shop a heavy limousine car lay overturned upon its side upon the walk its wheels having skidded on the slippery snow-covered pavement and striking the curb toppled completely over aladdin with the agility of a small monkey soon mounted to the upper side of the overturned vehicle and opening the door had assisted a beautifully arrayed young woman possibly a year or two younger than himself from within and after her fuming and condemning his luck and the world in general a grey-haired and apparently irascible old gentleman mother cried aladdin as the girl fainted in his arms come quickly the young lady has fainted the good woman needed no second bidding she hastened to his side and the limp form of the young girl was carried in her strong motherly arms into the little back room behind the tailor-shop which formed their only home shortly afterward the old gentleman came also ushered in by aladdin she is safe cried he with an anxious glance at the prostrate form of his daughter perfectly so sir replied aladdin's mother she has only fainted won't you sit down sir she added you look a little shaken up yourself thank you said the old gentleman gazing around the room vainly in search of a chair uh what shall i sit down on madam <laughs> try the stove sir laughed aladdin it may warm it up a bit the old man gazed frowningly at the boy not relishing such levity at so serious a moment and aladdin slightly embarrassed by his own frivolity tried to cover his confusion by seizing the lamp that had fallen from the package and polishing its highly oxidized surface by rubbing it on the patched knee of his trousers and then a strange thing came to pass at the moment of the first attrition between his knee and the little brass lamp the room seemed to fill with a gray mist and in its gathering depths Aladdin perceived the huge figure of a blackamoor gradually taking shape. "'What the dickens?' muttered the lad to himself, as the strange apparition rose up before him, rubbing his eyes to make sure that he saw clearly. "'What do you want?' he added, springing to his feet as the genie approached him. "'I have come in response to your summons,' replied the blackamoor. "'Give your orders, sir.' aladdin grinned broadly at this the idea of his ever giving orders to anybody seemed so very absurd nevertheless he fell in with the spirit of the hour all right sambo he returned get this gentleman a chair there may be an extra one upstairs in the music-room the blackamoor disappeared for an instant and shortly returned bringing with him the desired piece of furniture 
thank you said the old gentleman as he took his seat with an uneasy glance around him the situation was not altogether without alarming features as for aladdin you could have knocked him over with a palm-leaf fan so astonished was he at this unusual development i wish i'd asked for something to eat he muttered to himself so do i observed the old gentleman i'd give five hundred dollars just now for a boiled egg <laughs> you ought to get one studded with diamonds at that price laughed aladdin and then just for a joke he turned to the blackamoor get this gentleman five hundred dollars worth of boiled eggs sambo he said hard or soft sir asked the genie three minutes said the old gentleman sambo made a low salaam to aladdin and departing he returned four minutes later followed by seven other blackamoors just like him each carrying a large wicker hamper on his shoulders these they deposited in various parts of the room and gravely opening them disclosed to the astounded gaze of aladdin and his unknown guest hundreds of eggs steaming as though freshly taken from the pot this is a half portion sir said sambo addressing aladdin we will return with the remainder in a minute sir just wait a second said aladdin scratching his head in bewilderment at the sight of so many eggs obtained with such ease it may be that these will be enough for the time being i'll ask the old chap excuse me mr um mr um i didn't catch your name sir i am major bondefeller president of the united mints of north america replied the old gentleman a person not to be trifled with young man as you probably know very well aladdin gasped as well he might here was old rufus bondefeller reputed to be the richest man in the world a guest in his mother's fast-failing little remnant of a tailor-shop. "'Glad to m meet you, sir,' stammered Aladdin. "'Do you think there's enough eggs here to satisfy your hunger? There appears to be two hundred and fifty dollars worth here now, but if you wish the rest served immediately—' "'Great heavens, no!' roared Bondifeller. "'When I said I'd give five hundred dollars for a boiled egg, I was merely speaking figuratively.' A rich man can't eat any more boiled eggs at a sitting than a poor man. Fact is, half the time he can't eat as many, without a bad attack of angina pectoris. "'All right,' said Aladdin, resolved to carry off the extraordinary situation with an outward nonchalance, in spite of the inner turmoil that kept his brain whirling. "'You needn't bother about the rest of those eggs now, Sambo. Major Bonderfeller can get along on these.' the blackamoor and his companions disappeared even as they had come apparently irrespective of doorways and utterly regardless of walls they seemed merely to melt through whatever solid substances there might be between themselves and annihilation as for major bondifeller as he observed these strange developments his face grew set and rigid he eyed every movement of the blackamoors with an uneasy attention until they had vanished from sight and then his flashing eye was riveted upon aladdin finally he spoke sharply and to the point well he snapped how much aladdin started the icy tone of the speaker's voice chilled him and it was so peremptory that he felt for the moment as if he had been stung by the lash how much what he said finally summing up all his courage to face the apparently angry millionaire don't try to evade the point retorted the major coldly let's get through with the business as quickly as we can 
it is plain as a pikestaff to anybody having half an eye that taking advantage of our mishap you have lured my daughter and myself in here for your own profit no man keeps such a villainous-looking gang of niggers on hand with an honest purpose so what are your demands aladdin laughed in spite of his disturbed frame of mind at the major's suspicions it was such an absurd idea that he could be at the head of a badger gang and yet after all he could not deny a certain sort of reasonableness in the notion from major bondifeller's point of view again taking the lamp casually in his hand more as an outlet for his embarrassment than for any other reason he gave it a second rub and started to answer the major's question but as before the mist again appeared and from its musty depths the blackamoor took shape and salaamed before him well what is it now sambo demanded aladdin frowning at the intruder your orders sir said the blackamoor you rubbed the lamp i believe aladdin's heart leapt into his mouth he had rubbed the lamp twice and twice had it brought him aid surely there must be some magic about this what if i did rub the lamp he queried in a tremulous voice what's that got to do with you i and my comrades are slaves of the lamp as your highness very well knows replied the blackamoor whatever your commands the united order of amalgamated genii must obey Hooray! cried aladdin dancing a wild fandango about the room who wants the handsome waiter as the full import of his new-found treasure dawned upon his mind the lad's ecstasy bade fair to surpass all bounds but the chilling voice of bondifeller served to calm his effervescing spirit i want nothing but your proposition so that i may get out of this den as speedily as possible he was saying i am not a man to beat about the bush and i realize that you have got me what is it you demand first and foremost civility said aladdin boldly a sense of his own power sweeping over him and giving him confidence i guess you'll find that harder to negotiate than a cheque for a considerable sum major bondifeller cash being a commoner commodity with you than civility now as a matter of fact sir the lad went on i had your daughter carried in here out of that raging blizzard so that my mother could give her the attention she needed you i brought in also with no more knowledge of who you were and with no more idea of financially profiting by your accident than if you had been one of those unfortunate tramps out on the bowery there but now that you have put the idea in my mind that perhaps after all nobody ever does anything unselfishly in this world i will make certain demands of you to begin with you may pay me two hundred and fifty dollars for those eggs and as a mere act of ordinary generosity you may tip the handsome waiter fifty dollars i understand too sir that you are the proprietor of these ten city blocks in which i and about twenty thousand of my neighbours are housed i believe i do own considerable property hereabouts said the millionaire sullenly though i can't say off-hand whether i do or not my agents look after my smaller investments well said aladdin it don't make any difference to me whether you remember what you own or not the result so far as you are concerned will be the same you will have these ten blocks of houses torn down and replaced by model tenements turning the alternate blocks into city parks for the children to play in but suppose i don't own em protested bondifeller what you don't own major bondifeller returned aladdin is too trifling a detail for us to worry over so long as you don't own me i don't care a pickled herring what you do own 
If it turns out upon investigation that any of these pig-pens on these ten city squares belong to anybody else, buy em. Buy em? snarled Bondefeller. How can I buy em if the other man won't sell? With money, said Aladdin. The same stuff you always use to buy anything else you happen to want, from an oil painting or a Japanese porcelain up to a state legislature or a man's conscience. And if I don't agree? demanded the old man a truculent glare in his eye, an eye before which the so-called powerful men of the earth had trembled more than once in the past. Aladdin returned the gaze unflinchingly. Once more he rubbed the lamp, and the genie appeared as before. "'Sambo,' said the lad calmly, with a wink at the slave, "'is dungeon number thirty-seven on the fifteenth tier below the subway occupied to-night?' "'No, sir,' replied the blackamoor with a grin. "'Very well, then,' said Aladdin coldly. "'You may provide a special escort of fifteen of your best and most reliable genii, and have them take this young lady to her home at Zucrest, Central Park East, taking care that nothing shall occur either to frighten her or to make her uncomfortable in any way. Meanwhile, you yourself, with five of our biggest huskies, will file this gentleman here away for the night in dungeon number thirty-seven, as aforesaid.' "'As your highness directs,' replied the obedient blackamoor. In a moment the still prostrate form of Miss Bondifeller was borne gently from the room and placed in a large touring-car that suddenly materialized without, and shortly Bondifeller, sitting ruefully alone in the little back room, could hear it chugging up the snowbound street at as lively a pace as any racer ever struck upon the smoothest of boulevards. It was indeed an illuminating exhibition of the remarkable resources of this extraordinary young man, and, strange to say, a contemplation of it gave the old gentleman a curious sense of pleasure. To be sure, he appeared to be in rather a bad predicament, but all the same it was a novel sensation to him to encounter somebody who apparently did not fear him. This was an emotion that he had not enjoyed for many years, and it was not without its titillation. "'I guess you've got me, young man,' he said, rather meekly, when Aladdin returned. "'I guess that's a good guess,' retorted Aladdin nonchalantly. "'There's only one answer to the question that confronts you, and you've lit on it the very first time. I don't intend to be at all vindictive, Major Bondefeller,' he continued, "'but a little lesson in arbitrary power isn't going to do you a bit of harm. So just make up your mind to take your medicine, and let's save our breath to talk of more important things.' First thing, I'm hungry. Mother, please lay covers for three. But my son, began the poor woman, who in caring for the unconscious girl had seen nothing of what was going on. We haven't a morsel of food in the... Do as I say, mother, said Aladdin quickly. Sambo will attend to the rest. Gone clean out of his head, poor laddie, murmured his mother, hastening nevertheless to fulfill his commands, merely as a means of keeping him quiet. Meanwhile, Aladdin, seizing the faithful lamp, gave it another rub, and when the blackamoor appeared, he ordered a royal repast, so royal indeed that old Major Bondefeller's eyes nearly popped out of his head as he ran over the order. A few suppers of that sort would have bankrupted even so flourishing a concern as the United Mints of North America. "'Any favorite dish you'd like to add, Major?' asked Aladdin genially. The old man's eyes filled with tears at this exhibition of kindness, even at this moment when they were practically enemies at swords' points. 
he could not remember in his own line of effort in many years that he had himself ever extended any consideration to a fallen foe. "'Why, don't know,' said he, his voice growing husky with emotion. "'Sometimes in the midst of all the luxury I am enjoying to-day, my mind runs back to those early days on the old farm, when my mother's apple pies seemed to be the perfection of culinary art.' <laughs> "'Say no more, Major. You shall have your wish,' laughed Aladdin. Then, turning to the waiting attendant, he added, "'Zambu, you may add to that order one full portion of pallid pippin pie for pale people, with a glass of buttermilk on the side.' An hour later the happy little party, for Major Bondifeller had warmed up considerably under the exhilarating influence of his strange surroundings, broke up with a sense of repletion that neither Aladdin nor his poor mother had enjoyed for many years. Indeed, it is doubtful if the young man himself had ever had so square a meal as that in all his life before. Over the cigars, Bondifeller tried to take up the thread of their before-dinner discourse. "'As for that business suggestion of yours,' he began, flicking the ash airily from the end of his cigar, but Aladdin stopped him. "'I make it a rule never to talk business at or immediately after dinner, Major,' he said reprovingly. The hour is late, and dungeon number thirty-seven awaits you. I trust you will sleep well. Sambo, show this gentleman to his room. But, began Bondifeller, on your way, Sambo, said Aladdin, and remember that if this gentleman turns up missing in the morning, you lose your union card. Good night. When Aladdin awoke the following morning, it was only natural that he should regard the events of the night before as nothing more than a fantastic dream and he was chuckling softly to himself over its manifest absurdities, when all of a sudden he spied the lamp on the table of his humble little room. He eyed it keenly for a few minutes, and then springing from the bed he seized it in his left hand, and began rubbing it feverishly with his right. As had invariably happened before, the genie responded on the instant. "'Your orders, Your Highness,' he said. Aladdin scratched his head in sheer bewilderment, but pulling himself together by a strong effort of will, he answered, somewhat haughtily, "'Send a maid to my mother's room immediately, with instructions to replenish her wardrobe at once with whatever things she may choose to ask for, and you may yourself bring me my new frock-coat, with the lavender trousers and the white piquet vest. You may lay out my best shirred front shirt and my mauve tie, and see that my silk socks match the latter. I shall wear my patent leather shoes this morning.' and if my silk hat shows any signs of wear, get me a new one. "'Yes, Your Highness,' said the Blackamoor. "'And will Your Grace breakfast?' "'Yes,' said Aladdin. "'Have breakfast on the table in one hour from now, fried eggs, buckwheat cakes, tenderloin steak, and a little salt fish. I desire also to have Major Bondifeller at breakfast with me, and, mind you, tell him not to keep me waiting.' "'As your highness wills,' said the blackamoor, retiring. Aladdin's orders were fulfilled to the letter, and after the breakfast was over he summoned the genie with a considerable flourish, which deeply impressed his guest. "'Now, Sambo,' said he, "'I want you to take the limousine, go up to the St. Gotham Hotel, and inform the proprietor that Monsieur le Duc de Lumière will arrive there, with his mother the Countess de Bougie and suite, precisely at noon.' and desires the best accommodations the house can provide. 
To inspire confidence, you would better take a few diamond necklaces with you and deposit them for safe keeping at the office. And while you are about it, I'd like a couple of thousand dollars for pocket money. As he gave these orders, Aladdin scarcely dared look at the genie for fear of rebellion, but they seemed to make no impression at all upon the blackamoor, who merely bowed his acquiescence and handed Aladdin a bag full of gold pieces. As for the major, who had passed a sleepless night, he merely blinked amazedly at these astounding occurrences. Finally he found his voice. "'You are the Duc de Lumière?' he asked. "'At your service,' said Aladdin. "'And may I ask what you are doing here in these squalid quarters?' continued the old man. "'I am conducting a personal investigation into the lives of the unfortunate,' replied Aladdin. By some extraordinary good chance, the fates have thrown you, who are largely responsible for the awful conditions I find here, into my hands, with power to control your movements. Within a radius of ten city blocks, Major Bondefeller, there are enough human souls living in squalid misery to populate a New England city, and yet you pay no more attention to them, nay, not as much, as you pay to a fly that enters your house and buzzes around your pate. You give the fly some personal attention but in this matter of your tenements you do nothing whatsoever, leaving it to an agent to care for your smaller interests. I believe those are your own words. Now, sir, it is in my power to keep you here for as long a time as I wish, but I don't want to make a prisoner of you. I want to give you a chance to do something for your fellow men, especially those who can never hope to repay you, save in gratitude. You heard my views last night. I ask nothing for myself, for, as you see, I do not need anything for myself. I have but to order what I wish, and it is here. Your model tenements are a useless ideal, retorted Bondefeller. Only last year, at enormous expense, I put bathtubs in all my tenements, and my agent reports that the tenements use them to store their coal in. And do you know why? demanded Aladdin. Ignorance, I presume, said Bondefeller, allied to a love of squalor. "'Nothing of the sort,' retorted Aladdin, pounding the table with his fist. "'It is because you spent all your appropriation on bathtubs, and never even thought of putting one penny into the construction of coal-bins.' Bondefeller was silent. He had never thought of that before. "'Well,' he said ruefully, "'I suppose I must agree, but it will cost twenty millions of dollars.' "'What's twenty millions to a man who controls the United Mints of North America?' demanded Aladdin. "'But if you keep me here I shall not control the United Mints of North America,' shouted Bondefeller, pounding the table just a little on his own account. "'John W. Midas and Silas Reddymun have combined against me, and if I am not at the board meeting at ten o'clock this morning, I am down and out.' "'Phew!' whistled Aladdin. "'By Jove! Major, I'm glad you mentioned it in time.' It gives me an opportunity to show you just what this power of mine amounts to. He rubbed the lamp, and the genie appeared. I desire the immediate presence here of Colonel John W. Midas and Mr. Silas Reddymun, Sambo, said Aladdin. To hear is to obey, replied the slave, making off. You don't mean to say, gasped Bondefeller. Major Bondefeller, said Aladdin, I am not the saying kind. I am a plain, common-garden doer. I admit that this time I am stretching things a point, but you'll find my orders are obeyed. 
as indeed they were, to the astonishment of all concerned, not even excepting Aladdin himself, who trembled at the audacity of his last command. Within forty minutes the two gasping financiers whose presence had been commanded sat before them. The genii had apparently taken them just as they found them, for Readyman still wore his bathrobe, and Midas was in his shirt-sleeves, with only one side of his face shaved. "'What the devil does this mean?' they demanded, in scarcely varying terms. "'It means,' said Aladdin calmly, now very sure of himself, as he had every right to be, considering the already successful manifestation of his powers, "'it means, gentlemen, that the United Mints of North America have passed into the control of a dark horse, who is familiarly known to himself as Aladdin, Duc de Lumière, and that unless you magnates get together inside of one hour and do something to clean up the squalor and misery of this city, as represented by these cesspools of humanity termed the tenement districts, you will spend the balance of your days in something worse. It is now twenty-seven minutes past eight. You may go into executive session at half-past eight, and at half-past nine I shall be ready to escort you either to your boardroom at the office of the United Mints of North America, or to the dark but wholly secure safe-deposit vaults that I have designed for your accommodation in the subterranean suburbs of this little burg. With these words Aladdin departed. At noon that day Monsieur le Duc de Lumière, with his mother the Countess de Bougie and suite, arrived at the St. Gotham Hotel. "'There is a telegram for your grace,' observed the proprietor, as he entered the royal salon. He handed over the little yellow envelope. Aladdin tore it open hastily and read, Monsieur le Duc de Lumière, Hotel St. Gotham. The board of directors of the United Mints of North America have secured control of sixty blocks in the heart of the tenement district of New York, and will begin at once the erection of thirty first-class model tenement houses, costing two million apiece, each building fronting on all four sides upon a complete city square to be devoted to public parks for the people and playgrounds for the children can you supply janitors answer collect silas Redman, w midas bondifeller a year later while aladdin and mr bondifeller were returning from the opening ceremonies of the wonderful new tenements of lower new york city in the latter's motor the aged financier gave his young friend's hand a quick and affectionate pressure. "'Duke,' said he, his voice trembling with happiness, "'you have made me the happiest man in the world. When I looked out upon the sea of faces of those tenants of our new houses, as you made your address, and saw the look of hope in eyes that a year ago were filled with threatening and despair, it gave me such a thrill as I never had before.' is there anything else you can suggest wherein a man can use a few more millions for the benefit of humanity yes said aladdin now that you have done something for the poor a few millions spent for the amelioration of the habits of the rich would be a great boon and how would you go about it asked the old man i don't know major replied aladdin it is a much harder proposition than the other and meanwhile said the old man tremulously how can i show my own gratitude to you personally for all you have done for me aladdin looked across the car at the fair face of marjorie bondifeller whose lovely eyes fell as they caught his glance well said aladdin blushing a rosy red you might make me your son ah oh, my boy sighed the major as he shook his head sadly i am afraid that is impossible 
I don't think your mother would marry a cross-grained old curmudgeon like me. I've been a widower for so many years now that I've become set in my ways, and... But there's another way round, ain't there? cried Aladdin. And there was, and that is how, my dear children, Marjorie Bondifeller happened to become the Duchess de Lumière. End of the Return of Aladdin End of Jack and the Checkbook by John Kendrick Bangs Recording by Kate Barrett